Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And today it is my absolute pleasure to bring you a guest, Nina Garcia. And Nina has my dream job. So this is like tainted with envy. Nina is a licensed professional counselor a drama therapist and that's the host. Thing. That's the thing. I, I love, that's the thing I'm jealous of, the, the drama therapist part. Um, and she's a podcast host of Triggered, Can We Play With That? Which just lights me up. Like the title yeah. alone lights me up. Yeah. I just think it resonates with everything I believe in. So welcome, Nina, first of all. Thank oh, you. Thank you so yay. much for having me, Pasha. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw the word drama therapist. I don't know. It's probably even just been about a year ago. And I was like, oh, that would have really made sense to me. And I love that it's a thing. I love that it's a degree. I love that it's a career. And I love that you're doing it. And how did you get there? How did you choose that <laughs> career? How does one choose to be a drama therapist? Let me tell you. So a lifetime of performance. I thought uh, you were going to say a lifetime of trauma. <laughs> I'm not there yet, Pasha. You're jumping ahead a few chapters. <laughs> Sorry. <no. laughs> yes. Uh, a lifetime of performance. I was like singing. Uh, when I got into high school, I added like uh, officially like musicals onto the page. And then I was dancing and I was acting as I was singing. And so undergrad was a natural, let me be a musical theater major. Uh, and then after I became a musical theater major, I was performing professionally. I did burlesque for a while. That was a lot of fun. Cool. And then I leaned into uh, being a teacher. I went and got my teaching certification. So then I was there working with high school students, uh, doing drama, doing communications, doing speech. And I was watching them become these incredible beings, just growing, of course, through the magic of drama and theater, um, but from really hard lives, changing mm. and empowering themselves to do this. And I was like, I gotta do more. I gotta do more with this. Like, this is like magic. What can I do? And I went to Google and I was like, like, how do I do, you know, therapeutic things with theater for yeah. high school students? And then of course it was like NYU drama therapy program. And I was like, that's it. It's that the, that's the number one program I'm just going to assume. <laughs> for drama. I know as a, as a theater major, NYU was like the place to be as a theater. This, this is back in 1988. I, I ended mean, up at even... Syracuse. But... <laughs> it was still New York. <laughs> New York is New York. No judgment. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I don't know. NYU would hate me for saying this. Maybe it's a little overrated in some ways. Uh, and also incredible in some other ways, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I say this almost in jest, but honestly, in the theater world uh, and in the therapy world, mm -hmm. everybody I met had a significant history of trauma and a challenging childhood. And that's how they came to a place where they wanted to not only figure themselves out and work through their own stuff, but serve mm -hmm. other people and have their pain be for something, like mean something. Is that, did you find that mm. to be true in drama therapy? What I found to be true for me and what I find to be true for people is that it serves in a few different ways, right? So drama and theater offers a framework for some people, right? For people who feel like there are no boundaries to their life, there's no safety, right? Well, you come in to a drama, right? And there's structure to it. There's a framework. It's being held in some way. And so you're being held in some way. So for some people, it's that safe space to go to, right? Mm -hmm. 
then there's the the idea that it has a beginning and it has an end right mm. so it's the container and containers are healthy we want containers we want to be able to pop out of that container right <laughs> but containers are healthy so drama and theater does that too and not only that but we also think about if i am a person who doesn't have a space to share who i am and be accepted for who i am people are there to love to accept you for all the unique things that you are right so, so the it's stranger, like stranger the better. Yes, exactly. It's like bring your unique self to the theater, and it's a place to express yourself. Yeah. So it's a framework, it's a container, it's a place to express and to be accepted. So it mm -hmm. offers all of these wonderful things that turns out every human being needs, especially those of us who have a history of trauma, which of course I do. So okay, okay. <laughs> For me, it was all of those things. All of those things. Okay, and it's interesting because you say container, and then I think, oh, containers like a box, but I don't want to be put in a box. And then I think about us, right? And then I think about identity. I'm like, no, I want to be out of the box, but but in a safe container. Okay, I want to be. <laughs> Out of the box, but I'm like, I, I'm just going through this in my head. Forgive my ADHD. Uh, no, you're no, gonna have to catch up. <laughs> this is beautiful because this is like literally playing with the idea of what it is to have a container, right? Yeah. Because for some people, it's like, it's a box, right? I don't want to be in the box. People have tried to put me in a box all my life. I don't want to be in the box, right? And then there's that sort of moment of, okay, well, wait a minute, but I've never been accepted for being this. So I've never been in the box. Can you give me a label? I'd love to have a label. I'd love to be in the box because then I feel like I belong, right? So what I'll work with people when I'll say, listen, box is one word for it, right? Containers, one word for it. But if you could make it your own, hmm. if you were to play with it and engage with it, which is exactly what I do with people's trauma, I say, if you can play with it and engage with it and make it your own, what would that relationship look like? And so if the box is not for you, the container is not for you, right? Is it like a garden and there's a gate you can get in and you can get out, right? Is it a lovely summer home? right? Is it a place in the clouds? Whatever it is, so long as it's your space that you get to define and say, man, I'm accepted here. This is my space to really play and have, you know, that freedom to be myself. I love that visualization. I've never done that before. Um, but I think when it comes to, um, for my own identity, uh, and my issues around by invisibility, like neither being, for me, this, the feeling of being accepted in the LGBTQIA uh, scene or in my straight community and my straight marriage, seemingly uh, monogamous straight marriage. Um, it's also, there's so many things you want to say. <laughs> I know, I know. I, but I can't not say them. I'm like, I'm honestly, I have no filter. I don't know what happened when I became 50, but it was like, oh, there it went out the window. But what I want to say is like, I've been picturing being stuck in a box, but of mm -hmm. course, like you just beautifully said, what if the box uh, had, you know, walls that I could walk through or a door or an open ceiling or <laughs> skylight to escape from? Like, I didn't really, uh, it's just interesting. I'm just noticing how, um, how I literally pictured a closed box with a locked door. And, and who would want to be in that, right? Fuck. So get out. Yes. And I assume that there's a lot of folks listening who can relate to the fact of like not feeling a sense of belonging anywhere they mm -hmm. are, even though they feel in some ways, I feel very empowered. And I loved your episode that you did recently where you defined the difference between being 
empowered and empowered. Powered versus empowered. I love talking mm. about that. Can you <laughs> talk about it? Because it really, it really touched a nerve and I, I dig it. Oh, yes. I, I would love to chat about this. Okay. okay. So powered versus empowered. And it's not to say that like one is better or worse, but I would definitely work from the space that we want more empowered responses and that powered responses may want to be out of necessity. Right. And so let me define powered and empowered, and then I'm going to come back to what I just said. So powered responses, uh, are ways that we engage either in thoughts, feelings, or behaviors with other people. We engage with them as if there's a power dynamic, which suggests that one of us uh, has either a better opinion or is worth a little bit more than the other person, right? Mm -hmm. That there's an above and there's a below. That's a powered dynamic. So people who engage in powered responses, they're okay with you being on their level, but the second that you disagree, or it sounds like their ideas are going to be put to the side or put, put to the back. That's when they're willing to put you down so that they can stay ahead. Does this mm -hmm. make sense so far? It does. It does. Okay. <clears throat> so then we move to flip a script and empowered response. Mm -hmm. The empowered responses say that there's an equitable relationship here. It means that I want you to be able to say your truth and I want to own my truth. And if we happen to disagree, I'm not going to say, well, you shouldn't believe that or you shouldn't be thinking that or doing that. I'm not going to say any should or shouldn't. I'm just going to say, oh, it sounds like we have different ideas on this, right? And then I'm going to, from an equitable space, say you also deserve to have your idea. There's a reason why you came to this conclusion. And just because I don't understand it doesn't, doesn't mean it's not a valid conclusion. Yes. Right. Awesome. Doesn't empower me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think the many words are thrown out there so much. We forget what they mean or never understood in the first place. And empowered and empowerment is one of those words for, oh, yeah. for me. Um, so to have a definition like that is really beautiful. And I love that it's uh, equitable and inclusive. Yes. Um, and I, I come back to that. I know I said, I'd come back to you at the beginning, that little piece that I said about maybe there are times when you want to engage in a powered response. Uh, one of the things that comes up when people are playing with powered versus empowered responses with me is they'll say, well, you know, what if I am right? Like, what if it's a matter of safety, right? Uh -huh. <clears throat> Even. And I say, well, if it's a matter of safety, right? What is safety, right? Because if somebody comes in with their religious belief that say, I'm going to go to hell because I'm a queer person, right? It, it, am I in danger right now? Is that, am I unsafe right now in being who I am and where I'm at, right? Or is that a thought and a belief, 100% a powered belief there, right? Mm. It says that something is going to happen based on that belief. That's a powered belief there, mm. right? As opposed to you can continue believing that and whatever happens to you happens, Nina. And, you know, you want to live your life. It's just the way that there is there and that's empowered. But let's say you have a kid eight-year-old, 18-year-old, it doesn't matter. And they're <clears throat> doing something actually dangerous. And you say, hey, don't do that. You could hurt yourself, right? And then they go and they try to do it anyway. And you take it from them, which is a powered response, but it's with good intentions and they're going to harm themselves in the minute, right? Physically in that mm -hmm. moment. So mm -hmm. there are ways that I know we could get into layers on this. Feel free to jump in if you want. But there, I do believe that there are times when a powered response may be necessary, but I, I really want people to lean in on empowered responses because it's what people need to be practicing. We don't practice equitable, uh, equitable engagements. We practice powered engagements. Yes. 
I can wrap my head around that. I think the part that I got tripped up on was perhaps the definition of safety because mm-hmm. by invisibility, if I walk into a space mm-hmm. where I don't feel like I can show up as my authentic self for whatever reason, be it religious or social constructs or homophobia, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. I don't feel safe in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it's a different level of safety than my kid having like a curling iron, in a bathtub, obviously, like there's more urgency to it. Um, and so I think, I think that's what I was thinking of. And in terms of feeling empowered in those moments where I feel like I am, and maybe I'm being powered, um, that I am right in saying that I should be accepted. <laughs> I'm Can ready. we play with this? Can we play with this, Pasha? <laughs> So if you're rejecting my identity, then you're, you're rejecting me. And if you're like, yes, right. So let's lean in on this. <laughs> Did you know you were going to do therapy today? Well, yeah, I was prepared. I was <laughs> doing a little therapy dance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're loosening up. We're leaning in. So the brain is funny because the brain recognizes threat responses and threats, period, right? It has, it sees something potentially as a threat and it will respond, whether it's a physical or an emotional threat. Our body won't know the difference unless we teach it. I don't need to respond right now as if I'm in a threat. This is something emotional that I can process and work through and talk through. I'm not actually in danger, right? And so... The minute that you said earlier, I don't know how you would have felt that more, but the minute that you said you walk in and you felt unsafe, there's differences when I think about the context of this, right? Am I walking into a place where I've never been and I feel unsafe because I think maybe I won't be accepted versus am I walking into like an anti-queer establishment where I know I could literally be in danger? Yes. Different. Yes. Yeah different in some ways, right? And yet for the buffer, our body, the fear is the, it's the same. Yes. It's the same. Our body's going to respond the same way. So if I don't feel safe, what am I going to do about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, this piece that you were talking about um, with the identity, right? That wanting people to see that identity, that's incredibly important because if my identity is not seen, right? If your identity is not seen and acknowledged, right? We've already got gaslighting going on. We've already got that idea of reality does that reality doesn't exist. It's traumatic invalidation is what we're talking about here. It's literally trauma that begins to develop around someone's identity piece, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so this starts with one thing, right? Maybe you hear it from someone, oh, well, it's not a big deal, right? Just don't talk about that, right? And you're like, oh, right? But then you keep hearing it and then you hear it in the media, and then you hear it, and then you're, you lose a job because of it. And that, right. And so it, for all of us, we have different experiences, especially around queer identity, but around identity pieces, whether it's age or disability or religion, ethnicity, right. And I could go on and on with identity yeah. pieces, right. But any of those can experience this traumatic invalidation. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't expect the world to keep me safe, whether it's physical or emotional threat, I've got to be able to do that. And the way that I work with clients on doing that is you've got to play with it. I've got to know, can I play with this? And if I can't play with this, I've got to be able to remove myself from it to keep myself safe because the world just ain't going to do it sometimes. Right. And this is probably a great um, time to say what it is you mean by play with it, because in my work, that means find the humor and the pleasure in it through the therapeutic comedy work I do, but that's not necessarily what you mean. Um, So let me know what you mean by play with this. (laughs) 
So when I say play with things, I mean, how can we engage with it, right? Can we play with that? Can we engage with that? And there's, I like to give a little spectrum of engagement uh, because I, I think there is a spectrum to, to engaging with something and being able to play with something. Uh, maybe I needed to be more private, more individual, right? So when I wanna play with the idea uh, of anything that feels like, oh, that could be dangerous, that could be unsafe, right? I play with the idea and it's just me. I think about it, maybe I journal about it, but I don't tell anyone else about it, right? That's a sort of a more internalized version of playing with something, but it's still playing with something, right? Uh, when we move a little step beyond that, maybe I can tell someone who's really close to me, someone I feel safe with, someone I know who's going to support that idea. And now I'm already leaning outside. I'm leaning into what I call my edge, right? I'm leaning into my edge, mm -hmm. right? So then maybe it's, uh, maybe I can go bigger with that. Maybe I can tell my family this thing or the people I know, right? Who in a more public space, right? And then maybe I want to go hog wild with it. And I say, no, uh, here I am loud and proud, whatever this is, I'm doing it publicly. Maybe I'm telling other people they should join or they should lean in with me, right? And you're able to actually pull people in to, to that piece. So that last piece is not necessarily the playing with it. Playing with it can be on a very small level, but you have to determine at that moment intuitively what you feel safe playing with, how you feel safe playing with it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what's, what kind of relationship do I want to have with this right yes. now? Right? Okay. And I do have moments where clients are like, I don't think I can play with that. Right. And then of course it's my job to say, well, because we know that trauma wants us to avoid mm. at all costs. It wants us to avoid. Right. I will say, okay, well, you've got it. You brought it up, right? It came up for a reason. So I just want to ask you just to make sure. Are you sure you don't want to play with this today? Right? You ask again. This is the trick. It's because you want to establish safe and empathetic space. And if somebody says I, in my world, I'm not ready to talk about that now or deal with that right now. If that's our first response, it's not necessarily the response that they are feeling um, after thinking about it, letting it sink in and figuring out what maybe the healing aspects of it might be if they were to play with it. So, so you do it by asking again. I do. And even that is playing with it immediately. Yes. I've already, when I do this with my hands, I'm offering yes. a container, right? Okay. I'm saying, I'm okay. not just saying, are you sure you don't want to play with that? Which is huge, right? <laughs> I'm saying, Oh, that idea that you just brought, are you sure you don't want to play with this? And mm. this gives them the opportunity to say, even right now, this may be scary, but it's actually not dangerous, mm. scary, mm. but it's not dangerous. Yes. And if they say, no, yeah, today's not the day. I say, absolutely. Where do you want to put this so that it cannot bother you until you're ready to deal with it? And maybe we put it on the shelf, which is close enough for them to deal with it. Right. They can pull it down whenever they want. Right. Metaphorically speaking, right, but maybe right. not. Right. Maybe it needs to go in a different room in the house, right. That they have, maybe it needs to go in a different city right? Maybe we need to put it in a box. There's all sorts of different ways for them to play with how distance this needs to be right now versus how close it is so that they can, they can play with it whenever they want. Is this making sense? It's totally making sense because, um, <laughs> and I didn't know I was uh, doing that or experiencing it, but when I'm teaching yoga, um, sometimes emotions bubble up to the surface and in hip openers, especially. And so, Ooh, yep. Sometimes um, I'll describe it as if right now there's something coming up that you're wanting to work through in the movement or the stillness, then wonderful. And if it's something that right now you don't feel uh, safe 
um, processing, imagine a little jewelry box or treasure box beside you, put it on your mat and put it in there and close the lid and it's there if you want to return to it, if you change your mind, but it's also in its own little, you know, safe space put off to the side. So I get, I do understand what you're saying. And I like that you give it a, um, a, uh, visual that's, um, tangible, uh, you know, it's not like the whole room, um, because sometimes our trauma feels bigger than our head, bigger than our body, bigger than the space around us is like consumes us. So it's really nice to witness it in a, uh, approachable and, um, workable container. Yeah. Yes. I like it. I like it. Me Yay. Too. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Um, so and identity is, something that that you bring up a lot in your in your work and why is it so fun or healing for you to play with identity (laughs) so uh, there are a lot of different hidden identity pieces that I have and I don't talk about all of them um but there are some I definitely haven't mentioned on the the podcast um and so one of the things that ooh 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 Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to share with you what just happened. You asked me a question and then I went there and I said, I leaned in and I said, oh, and there's some things I haven't mentioned. And then all of a sudden my mind went, yeah, avoidance. My brain is trying to avoid something, but I don't want to avoid it. So I want you to ask me the question again. Okay. Now I'll try to remember the question. Is there, um, why is identity, identity, um, so important for you or healing for you to process? Here we go. I have a lot of traumatic invalidation around a variety of identity pieces. One of them uh, was for a long time, I had PTSD. Uh, I was abused by a teacher in high school and I did not get treatment for it. Uh, For 12 years, I had PTSD. Now that I have talked about at length. Um, I no longer have PTSD because I have processed through it. For the people out there who think you can always have PTSD for the rest of your life, that is not necessary. If you get the right treatments for you, and I'm happy to talk about PTSD treatments. Go in there next. (laughs) And then I might have to sit down. (laughs) Uh, you, You do not have to live with PTSD for the rest of your life. You can heal, right? I will always have that trauma. And that's the thing, right? I'll always have that as a piece of trauma but I do not have PTSD. It's not something that I have nightmares about. It doesn't, I don't get randomly triggered by it, right? It's something that happened and it's just a part of my story. And that's really what we want for people who have trauma, right? That it becomes just a part of the narrative. It's yes. not something that's triggering and that lives uh, in a live way, right? In the body. So there was, uh, in dealing with that as a hidden identity for so long, people didn't understand uh, why I couldn't be touched. Physically, I couldn't be touched. I couldn't look at intimacy, I struggled for at least the first year. Um, I wanted to throw up, right? My body, it was not safe in my body. I just could not be in those spaces, right? So even, this is actually a good example. When we talked earlier about safety versus like, it's scary, but it's not dangerous, right? It was terrifying for me to look at people, even kiss, but it actually wasn't dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. I had to work through some things because according to my body, it was hella dangerous. I had to get out of there. Right. So there were things to work through there that I had to lean into so that I could be able to do that one day. But I had intimacy issues for years and years and years. It just didn't feel safe to me. And I would I would get triggered and have flashbacks. Right. So people not understanding that I was rejected often. I remember uh, I, I was actually engaged to 
a person once who I distinctly remember them turning around and yelling at me once, you're just so broken and you'll never be fixed, right? Which is not the case. It was not the case at all, right? But the constant, that narrative, right? And it starts out as something small of, oh, I just don't get you, right? And oh, well, you just don't fit in here. Oh, you just can't handle that. Oh, there's something absolutely wrong with you, right? That's traumatic invalidation around a piece. It's a hidden disability that I was struggling with, right? For over a decade. And it's not just that one. Um, I also know that I was dealing with uh, and have, I'm somewhere on the, (laughs) this is the piece I haven't talked about. This will be the first place I I express it. I know that I'm somewhere on the schizo spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, the typical diagnosis that you might put it under would be schizotypal or something like that. But I don't consider it a disorder anymore uh, because it does not cause disorder in my life. Mm. Um, and so one of the pieces that I'll talk about with people who have personality disorders is the stigma and the traumatic invalidation around that as if there's something inherently wrong with them when it's actually the way that our bodies are built is to perform in a certain way. And that if I have my needs met, those behaviors, those, uh, those behaviors that are actually trying to protect me, they don't show up, right? And it means I get to bed at a certain time and I exercise a certain amount of times a week and I eat every two hours. And there's all these different things that I do that I had to figure out for my own identity. What did I need so that I could function in the world without PTSD, without having a personality disorder, without these things? Um, And I know I'm barely scratching the surface of this, but when I think about how important it is to play with things so that you can function in the world and live your best life, if you can't play with the things that are hidden within you, it's going to make the rest of the world a hell of a lot more difficult to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you feeling um, comfortable sharing that here. And I, um, I know it will speak to people who are um, holding on to secrets and shame inside their bodies um, and and not intuitively feeling wrong or broken, but the, that these identities and these um, labels and mm-hmm. diagnoses that are put on us, ADHD is the one that I'm given people like, oh boy, how do you live with somebody with ADHD to my husband? It's like a superpower. It's only because of See? this. It's See? like, I'm glad I have it because I have, you know, many different hats that I wear. I yes. can entertain and play with myself and not get bored. I'm creative Gosh. and neurodiverse and all the things. Yes, right? you are speaking the language. I will right. always, I say this all the time about personalities. They're like, it's, it's a type of neurodivergence, y'all. Exactly. And it's like a superpower. We just have to learn you know, like, what do I need? What tools do I need yeah. to have so that I can yeah. effectively use my yeah. high energy or my hypomanic episodes? Like, exactly. yeah, I love that. <laughs> right. I mean, if I went and worked at a bank, I would be miserable and I would feel broken and pretty ill, but I became, because I created it just like you chose drama therapy. I created therapeutic comedy because I knew that's what my brain could process and do well played with yourself enough and you created a world that fit for you yes this is what happens when we play with things incredible things can happen (laughs) yes yes and it's interesting when we go into spaces like my doctor's office um where they're like so we should medicate and Mm. uh uh you know 
let's do some whatever, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicines, all, uh, you should double that, triple that, up that, do that. <laughs> I'm just like, wait a minute, I came in actually feeling confident and successful and fairly happy, but <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> it's just fascinating. Uh, yes, yes. So um, thank you very much for, for sharing that. And, um, yeah, I love how we could play with just words alone and how, um, like PTSD, when you said that you have trauma, but not PTSD. And I think Mm -hmm. the perception is if you have trauma, you have a life of trauma triggers, Mm -hmm. flashbacks, PTSD. Um, but there's, uh, difference. And I, and I hear it when you say it and it makes complete sense. So you can have a history of trauma and not struggle with PTSD, which is, um, relieving frankly to hear, um, and to absorb. So yes. So yes. I used to have just on that, that piece that you just mentioned, I used to, as I was playing with it, I used to have these images pop up. And at the beginning, the way that I used to describe it was like, it was like a monster in the closet. Mm. And I, I, who wants to deal with the monster in the closet, right? Just leave that shit in the closet. And um, the more that I played with it, because now the threat, the actual physical threat was over, right? It was scary, but it wasn't dangerous. And so, uh, yes, I was taking risks, right? But it wasn't, they were calculated risks, right? And so it was like a monster in the closet at first. And the more that I played with it, what ended up happening was it became like an elephant in the room. Right. And this is over years uh, because I didn't get support like you can if you go to a therapist. Right. You too. <laughs> um, so uh, it was like an elephant in the room. And then how I described it is the more I played with it, it, was, it didn't feel like an elephant in the room anymore. It felt like a to do list. I mean, mm. it's just that list is on the table. I got, got to get to that list. And the more that I played with it continually after that, it was just like the air that we breathe. Like it was just something that happened. It just was, and it wasn't triggering anymore. And I could talk about it and I could talk with other people about their traumas and not feel that sense of either victimization or, or right. Or survival needs come in and I could be intimidating. I mean, there's all these lovely things that happen when we are willing to play with and deal with that trauma you know, to, to go through it, right? The only way out is through. That's for darn sure. And, and it's through it in different ways. For some people it might be Absolutely. through drama therapy. For some people it might be through journaling or writing or comedy or exercise. Just meditation. keep playing with it. However you play with yeah. it, that would be my invitation. Just keep playing with it. Yes. And so for those out there who are dealing with trauma, probably everybody who's listening um, and feel like they haven't moved through it or worked through it, what is your best suggestion on how to search for a therapist? Because if there's so many ways to play with it, where do you even start in your search outside of insurance? (laughs) (laughs) Who's covered? Mm, Down to three. Okay. Of those three. (laughs) There. So PTSD or trauma, there are some things that are specific to PTSD. For example, cognitive processing therapy is one, right? And that's CPT. If you're going to go to Google it and there are particular providers who are trained in that and it's a, there are groups that can be offered, right? If you're like, I don't, I can't afford an individual session, go to a group session where it's yes. offered, right? Um, and it is a highly manualized, very cognitive way of leaning into PTSD, right? A PTSD diagnosis. Um, if that is not your jam, or if you don't have PTSD, but you know that you have some trauma that you're working through, 
there are lots of other ways. Um, you might have a trauma trained professional. Some of us are certified, uh, certified clinically certified trauma professionals. CCTP is what that that little acronym might be at the end of someone's name. I am one of those, but there's a whole network out there, right? Of those of us who are trained specifically in what to look for with trauma, what's happening in the body, how can we work through it, right? Different things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that may be an, an avenue. EMDR is another avenue, right? Um, uh, somatic experiencing, right? SE is another avenue. There's, there's all these wonderful different things. If you're in a city, uh, if you're in New York City, in fact, you're in and, <laughs> and you have access to a drama therapist, especially there are some DVT, it's developmental transformations is a very particular niche part. Ooh. They play with trauma. It is the most, it is the most you can play. I would say if there was such a thing as most and least, right? It is the most playful that you can get. It is, there is no place for the trauma to hide. It is my most favorite way. DVT. Yes. Okay. If you put in developmental transformations, but um, there's a center in New York. I highly recommend looking into it if you are there. It is an incredible uh, practice. It's an incredible experience. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm, um, I would love to be able to experience that uh, myself. I'm in a more rural area in, in Maine, um, not in the rural part of Maine, but rural because I'm in Maine um, and <laughs> just farther away from everything. Um, and so it does sometimes feel limiting. And I would like to suggest that there's so much, this is a benefit of the pandemic, that so much has gone online, be it individual or group therapy and programs um, that are available. And I actually have learned to enjoy leading and participating in the group programs more than the one-on-one -on -one because I, the, just the dynamics of the group and you're learning and you're making friends and it's just, it's beautiful. And I think it fills that part of me that felt uh, isolated during the pandemic. So, um, so yeah, I would encourage people to, to play and try all yes. types of modalities and see what feels, um, healing and good. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in our work, uh, as there, I'm, I'm saying ours, if I have a team and I don't, it's just me and my, um, <laughs> screen. So in my work as a therapeutic, uh, comedy coach, I say there's like time and trauma, like time plus trauma equals comedy. It's the only math I do. Time plus trauma equals comedy. So is it true also with drama therapy that you might not want to play in the middle of your trauma or crisis? Is it, it do you have a prescription mm -hmm. within your um, work between the trauma and when you could start to play? I know it's different for everybody, but is there anything that you want to say about that? How much time to give yourself? I think it depends on the person. I think mm -hmm. this is a really personalized thing. I think for clients who, and people in general, right, who are used to avoiding, that it is then very difficult to say, well, let me go into a therapist's office and approach this scary thing, right? And this is a lifetime, a skill of learning how to avoid things, that people have this as a skill. It's important to know how to avoid things some of the time, right? In the other sort of uh, realm, 
uh, if we flip the script on this, is that some people have a lifetime of learning how to approach things, Mm -hmm. constantly approaching, constantly approaching. And so they may literally have called, I've actually had a client call, uh, this was years ago though, actually, now that I think about it, uh, right after um, they experienced a rape. And so this was right after, and you could tell as you were listening to this person speak that they were very distanced from it, mm. very distanced from it. There was almost no emotion happening, right? Uh, this person wanted to be able to play with this, right? So I can use that skill that they have of constantly approaching it, right? But what my job is not then to let them continue to lean in and lean in and lean in, but to help them say, how do we have a boundary to this, right? It's sort of like one of the metaphors that I offer, and maybe this will be the best answer to the question that you asked, is when you think about that scary thing, that thing that's happened to you, right? And if it were 10 feet below the ocean, right? It's 10 feet below the water and you're looking out and you're standing on the beach. Do you still need to stand on the beach? Are you ready to go dip your toe in the water? Do you want to go snorkeling or are you ready to dive? Mm. Does this yeah. make sense? Really being able, when you ask yourself that, really being able to feel how your body responds as you get closer and closer to that. And that I think is a really, it can be a really good indicator of, am I ready for this or am I not? Now I will say caveat, as a drama therapist, I want you to play with it as soon as possible. It's what the research also suggests is helpful for most people that the sooner you get in after a trauma, the less likely you are to develop PTSD. Yes, yes. So for what that's worth. Also, that just because something big and scary happens doesn't mean that you'll even have trauma, right? It may not even be traumatic for you. Yes, I, I think that is true in my work as well, that the sooner the better for most, mm-hmm. because then the limiting beliefs, other people's narratives about it, mm-hmm. habits around it, whatever it be, um, might lessen. So you can start to take your power back sooner. Do you use that languaging in your work? Like take your power Ooh, back? Take your power. Um, I say own your story. Got it. Own your story, right? And when trauma happens, it literally says the world's not safe. You did all the files get shifted and you're like, I don't know how to do anything anymore. I don't know because A plus B doesn't equal C anymore, right? Right, right. But if we can say, well, how do you own that? How do you own your narrative? This is what happened. Then this is what happened. And this is where I am now. Ah, all of that chaos just comes right back down. I'm owning my story. But of course, that's very drama therapy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) As characters, we have stories and how do we own that? (laughs) Yes. And is your drama therapy ever practiced or performed on stage or is it in an office? Like, what does it look like for those? I can just show you around my office real quick. (laughs) Oh, yes, please. if I can unplug here. Okay, really quickly, we're just going to take a we're walk around. A tour. I'm going to give the narrative because people are listening on the uh, podcast. Um, <laughs> she's, she's walking away from her comfy couch with a beautiful sky scene behind her. Oh and God. now she's showing us. Oh, and you've got a tree <laughs> painted on your wall. Very cool. Yes, I'm like, which direction are we going? Here we go. Oh. We've got some textile on the wall. We've got tons of fun stuff for people to play with, right? We've got sand and instruments and clay. I painted that too. We've got quick squiggles on the wall that sort of reminds me of like, is it the wind? Is it waves? Is it magic and leaves? It it feels very flexible to me. And then yes, we have the wall. We can't control the winds, but we can adjust our sails. Beautiful. Beautiful. (sighs) 
<laughs> and so it's your work is in this beautiful office of so Wake. the private practice work yes okay. all of that's in here i do run some groups um now primarily at heights treatment center uh which is absolutely 100 a, a treatment center i would recommend for people who need an intensive level of care a higher level of care um than maybe like i as a private therapist can offer um if you need more care you want an intensive outpatient program that's and in houston they're a great one yes but okay. they take we have people from all over the world okay in. okay it's a great program if you're struggling with mental health or if you're struggling with addiction Excellent. or both as okay. is often the case. And, uh, is that adults only or adolescents as well? Adults. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a, a book or a resource or online resource that you just love to refer people to other than your own program, which we're getting to in just a moment. Oh, okay. Um, if you haven't read the body keeps the score, ah. uh, right? This is a classic though, trauma resource, right? If you haven't read that. Um, and then, oh, there's so many for other things. Uh, Mm. trauma stewardship is good. If you're a person like you or I, Pasha, people who work with people, um, and we also may suffer burnout, right? Um, Mm. trauma stewardship is a great book. Oh, good. I have not heard of that one. Yes. And then for traumatic invalidation, Ooh, I think I may forget the title. I may have to tell you it afterward, but it is written from, uh, from the author who has autism, um, and talks about the traumatic invalidation around that piece of identity. And so it's a great read for whatever your identity piece is. He puts it in such a way that it really is like, Oh, that's what's happening for me. Oh, that's what that was when that happened. Um, so yes. I will have to look up trauma yes. stigma and autism, but that may be okay. what it's called actually. <laughs> which, which I, I can't not recommend Hannah Gadsby at this moment, who does a beautiful Netflix special, um, a comedy special about autism. Mm. and walking through that path. So anyhow, just, uh, I, I will say that for those that, um, want to come at it from a therapeutic comedy perspective. Um, and so then you have a program highly recommended by <laughs> you and many others, I'm sure what is your program. So, uh, my private practice is Houston creative arts therapy, but because of the focus that we have on traumatic invalidation, on Facebook, we have a new group and the group is called Inclusive Champions Playing mm. with Cultural Encounters. Nice. And it is exactly what it says, right? It is about uh, being able to work through and disrupt cycles of traumatic invalidation uh, by practicing being anti-supremacist, right? And again, that's using that empowered lens of I'm worth just as much as you, regardless of what my identities are. I have to be worth just as much as you. And if we don't both feel that way, we should do something about it because we should both feel that way, right? It's a very humanitarian uh, lens of like, let's lift people up from an empowered place. Yeah. So join us on that if that's your jam. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) And we have the... Yes, the course is the anti-supremacy 101 playing with cultural encounters. So that <laughs> strategies for inclusivity. That's that. Lots of stuff going on. I always wonder if people who join these courses and sign up for them have already done so much work. Do you find, do you, do you know what I'm asking? Like are the people who join the ones who need to learn it as much, or is it like then they become the, the stewards and the people who are serving and the healers and the light workers who then spread the message far and wide? 
I think yes. And I think <laughs> I'm think... such a drama therapist. <laughs> oh right? like that's an improv dog. Okay. Yeah. I think some people come in and, and, um, it's really, really scary for them. And mm. what I will teach from the beginning is if that's what you're noticing, right. Then can we play with that? Because why would anyone want to be afraid of this, right? If, unless you want fear or disgust, those are the two emotions that will keep someone back from dealing with another person's identity uh, when they're not thinking about it. They'll just feel that. And they're like, I don't know why I feel this around them, right? Some implicit beliefs were placed there. And if you don't want them there, well, I would just love to work with you. Um, yeah. And so I have people who maybe they're not ready to do it in a group setting, right? We talked about that. How can I play with it? But they're ready to do it in a private setting with me. So I do have people who come in and they were raised as far as they're concerned to be one client in particular, I think of raised to be as, as racist as the day is long, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't want to be that way, but they didn't know how not to be that way. Yes, the thoughts kept coming. The behaviors kept coming and they said, I don't, it's like, it's like a, yeah. Right. So there are people out there who exist (laughs) like this. That's so brave uh, for that individual to come in and ask for help. Okay. But these are those, those stigmatized identities. And if like, if I'm dealing with so much shame around an identity piece, how do I even do the work for that to, to, to heal that if I'm struggling with so much shame around it? So I have people who are ready for the course and I have people who it's just not the space yet. They're not ready for that level of play. So they'll come see me one-on-one and we'll shift some things around so they, they can gain a little bit more confidence of why they became that way, as opposed to like, it wasn't this, you know, label that somebody was like at birth, you're going to be this because you've decided this. Well, oh, you wanted to be a supremacist. Okay, great. Right. Nobody decided that at birth, but throughout their course of living, different things happened and different things were taught. And that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Because I remember my mother pretty much saying, you know, you're half German, so you're going to be miserable and angry um, and guilty about your German identity. There's a narrative placed on you. Just cast. You just got cast. How do you feel about this role? (laughs) I was born at the wrong place, the wrong time for the wrong people. Uh, But I'm sure I can work through it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, But it's, but it's interesting how we're given um, so many of these narratives from the moment we're conceived. So yes. Yes. And how beautiful that there's somebody like you who's willing to have these difficult conversations and play with these uh, identity conversations. Hard. Yeah. But you must. um, Oh, my gosh. I say this all the time. Like, I stink at small talk. Like, how do you feel at parties when you walk in and everyone's talking about the sports and the weather? And are you like, and let's play with trauma. (laughs) Let me tell you how I feel about sports and the weather. (laughs) I mean, I I think it's a reality. And here's something that I still have to sit with is that I am ready to have conversations that go a hundred feet deep under the ocean that people hope to never have in their lifetime. Mm. I am ready to sit across from, uh, I mean, we talked about supremacists, um, rapists, molesters, some of uh, people who've been to prison for all sorts of different things, people who, if the world had it their way, they would just disappear them, right? But the thing is, those people aren't disappeared. They're walking on our streets. They're working in our neighborhoods. They're serving us things. At some point in their life, even they did not sign up for that before they were born. At some some reason why something happened. And I sit in a place where as therapists, we do have to decide 
And I recognize this is a deeper conversation. A lot of people will be triggered around what I'm saying, right? Around those roles. But at some point, we have, as therapists, have to realize what can you play with and what can't you play with. For some therapists, and at the beginning of my career, could not play with all those things. What I have learned is how to view the human first and really ask myself, how did they get here? How did they get here? Yeah. It's, a- it is a hard thing, but when we play with things, people yeah. can heal. Yes. And I want people to heal. Yeah. I want healed people walking around out there. Yes. You are a wholehearted, empathetic woman. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that, Pasha. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Beautiful to witness, inspiring. Yes. I'm glad you're here in this world doing what you do. <laughs> Thank you, Pasha. I love what I do. So <laughs> I can tell. Oh, my goodness. Um, how can people reach you? Okay. Uh, Instagram, you can follow HCAT Wellness. I'm also there as drama therapist Nina, if you want to see some of my personal things going on in the background. It's uh, obviously much more personal. Um, but it's public. And um, what, what else? I think joining the Facebook group, if that's your jam, but I think Insta me, you can DM me, you can comment, I can follow you back. And, and we can really start leaning into this community of people who are willing to play, play with some yes. hard things. Yes. I hope there's listeners out there who are thinking, finally, I think I could feel safe with a com- in a conversation with this person, Nina, this magical person. I love it. I love it. Yay. I hope you all reach out to Nina or join the Facebook group and start these conversations uh, with yourself and with others. And uh, yes, thank you so much. I am inspired by you and humbled and just, um, yeah, I'm, I want to learn more and uh, want to be in your presence uh, more often. So thank you. I'm here. Thank you, Pasha. I'm here. <laughs> Um, for those of you out there who want to reach Nina, you can read it in the show notes. Uh, again, this will be on podcast uh, platforms and on YouTube if you want to watch and see her office and her brilliance in, in person. Feel free to watch this on YouTube. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, continue the conversation with me, you can find me as well on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Pasha Marlowe, or you could find me at my website, PashaMarlowe.com easy to find me with an unusual name, right? I think I'm the only one out there, the only Pasha Marlowe. So good to have you all here joining us for this conversation. And thank you again, Nina. My pleasure.